Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 31st. In today's news, President Trump says he may not be able to negotiate a trade deal with China until after the 2020 election. Family separations continue at the border, with the feds often making dubious excuses. And a grand jury hands down indictments for a Republican operative accused of election fraud in North Carolina and seven others. But first, the big idea. It has been building since the first primary debate in Miami ended. And on Tuesday night, it broke out into the open in Detroit. A full-scale ideological brawl about the direction of the Democratic Party and what it will take to defeat President Trump in 2020. In Miami, the presidential candidates collectively advocated for policies that highlighted the party's dramatic shift to the left, including government-run health care that would eliminate private insurance, the decriminalization of illegal immigration, and health care for undocumented immigrants. On Tuesday at the Fox Theater, the moderates in the field pushed back hard. The targets Tuesday were the two liberal leading candidates in the field that were on stage, Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. They were accused of embracing free everything and fairy tale policies and for making impossible promises that could compromise the party's hopes of winning back voters they lost in 2016, including in a state like Michigan. Warren and Sanders more than stood their ground during two spirited hours of sharp and passionate exchanges. They were unapologetic and they relished being at the center of the fight. At one point, a frustrated Warren shot back at one of her principal antagonists, former Congressman John Delaney from Maryland, who was happily playing the role of foil. She said she doesn't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we can't do as a country. The crowd loved it. Going into last night's debate, there were questions about whether either a rising Warren or a slipping Sanders competing for many of the same voters would go at each other. Instead, they were forced into solidarity, at least for the night, after they came under assault during the other candidates' opening statements. It began with Montana Governor Steve Bullock, who didn't qualify for the first debate and was under pressure to make his mark quickly so that he can get into the third debate. Then Delaney compared Warren and Sanders to George McGovern, Walter Mondale, and Michael Dukakis. Critiques continued from former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, sought to walk a careful line between the two wings, as did former Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Author Marianne Williamson, animated as much as anyone, found ways to go in both directions, and she was the most Googled candidate during the debate. Health care dominated the first half hour, and it turned into a pointed discussion of whether the party should embrace Medicare for all and the elimination of private health insurance, or try to build on the Affordable Care Act by adding a public option, which is what Barack Obama fought for, or some kind of other plan to get universal coverage. Hickenlooper said he wants an evolution, not a revolution. Sanders, who was far more energetic last night than he was in Miami, has said repeatedly that his plan would require raising taxes on the middle class, although that in the end, he says, Americans would pay less overall for their health care than they pay now. CNN moderator Jake Tapper pressed Warren and the others who favor Medicare for All to answer whether they would do the same. Warren hedged. Then Ryan, who represents the Youngstown area of Ohio, said that Medicare for All would mean that union workers who have negotiated for good health coverage, sometimes at the expense of wage increases, would lose benefits. Sanders insisted that his plan would allow for benefits as good or better than what those workers get now. Ryan said Sanders can't possibly know that. Then Sanders shot back with the most memorable line of the night. I wrote the damn bill, he said. His campaign is already selling T-shirts that say that. 
The sparring that began Tuesday will no doubt be repeated tonight when Joe Biden, who has clashed with Sanders over health care, will be at center stage and looking to improve on his lackluster performance from Miami. He'll be next to Kamala Harris again, and he could tangle with Cory Booker. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, the president said yesterday that his trade deal with China may not happen until after the 2020 elections. He suggested yesterday that further action could be more than a year away and everything could change based on whether he's reelected. In several Twitter posts, the president accused China of delaying negotiations, which began in earnest last December. Even as Trump's chief trade advisors resumed talks in Shanghai, the president's tweets suggested that a deal may be much further away than the administration has been saying for months. Chinese officials appear to be under less pressure to get an agreement than they were a few months ago, as hardliners have moved in to negotiate for Beijing. They're also sending signals that Trump's repeated threats aren't working. Although Trump maintains that the drawn-out conflict is mostly hurting China, experts say the trade war is damaging our economy and possibly fueling a global slowdown. Meanwhile, North Korea fired two more short-range ballistic missiles overnight. The missile launch was the second in a week after Pyongyang also fired two short-range ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan last Thursday. Although a ballistic missile test is a violation of the United Nations Security Council resolutions and the missiles are designed to threaten South Korea, Trump has been playing down the significance of these tests, saying many countries test short-range missiles. They don't. North Korea has also threatened to pull out of denuclearization talks with the U.S. if the Americans go ahead with joint military exercises, claiming that that would break a promise made by Trump to Kim Jong-un when the two leaders met in the DMZ at the end of June. Number two. The Trump administration has allegedly taken nearly 1,000 child migrants from their parents at the southern border since a federal judge ordered the U.S. government to stop family separations. In a lengthy court filing yesterday in U.S. District Court in San Diego, lawyers for the ACLU provided evidence that one migrant lost his daughter because a U.S. Border Patrol agent claimed he had failed to change the girl's diaper. Another migrant lost his child because of a conviction on a charge of malicious destruction of property. The alleged damage was less than $5. One father, who lawyers say has a speech impediment, was separated from his four-year-old son because he couldn't answer questions from Border Patrol agents. His lawyers say he has a stutter. While the judge recognized that parents and children might still be separated when a parent is found to pose a risk to their child, the ACLU and other advocates say federal agents are maliciously splitting up families for minor alleged offenses, including traffic violations. They pleaded with the judge to clarify when such separations should be allowed. This group of a 1,000 kids, just under a 1,000, who have been taken from their parents is in addition to the 2,700 children who were taken from their parents during that chaotic six-week period from May to June of last year. Number three, a North Carolina grand jury yesterday returned several new indictments for a political operative who prosecutors say orchestrated a ballot tampering scheme while working for a Republican congressional candidate in 2018. Leslie McCray Dowless was charged with two counts of felony obstruction of justice, perjury, solicitation to commit perjury, conspiracy to obstruct justice, and possession of absentee ballots. Dallas worked for Republican Mark Harris, an evangelical minister from Charlotte, who ran against Democrat Dan McCready in the 2018 general for North Carolina's 9th Congressional District. Initial ballot counts showed Harris with a narrow lead over McCready, about 900 votes, but the state's Board of Elections refused to certify the outcome amid the accusations of fraud. 
Dallas is accused of scheming to illegally collect, then fill in, forge, and submit mail-in ballots from voters in two rural North Carolina counties. Seven other people who prosecutors say were involved in this scheme were also indicted yesterday. We've uncovered evidence that the FBI participated in a surveillance operation against Dallas and his associates back in May of 2018. But agents chose not to take public action to stop what they believed was ongoing fraud until it was too late. Search warrants released in March 2019 describe how state and FBI investigators jointly watched Dallas as he met with individuals and conducted transactions at ATMs in a convenience store in Bladen County. That's the epicenter of the alleged fraud in the 9th District, which stretches east from Charlotte along the South Carolina border. The individuals later told investigators, the ones who had been surveilled, that Dallas offered them cash payments to go collect ballots, which is illegal. It's not clear whether the local DA is still considering indictments for Harris or other members of his campaign staff. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 31st. Thanks for listening. As always, I'm James Holman. Have a great day. Enjoy the debate tonight. I'll talk to you tomorrow.